Well, good morning. I trust that you had a wonderful uh, holiday the other day. Uh, and if not, well, welcome to church. You'll have a wonderful morning this morning here in church. I've got a bit of a cold, <clears throat> so you're going to get the Marlon Brando version this morning. Um, but uh, God's been doing good stuff. He's been working in us as we've walked through identity, that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, as he reminds us that in community we are healed. We need each other. We need a gathering like this. I'm so grateful for a nation that lets us celebrate and practice religious freedoms. And uh, to be able to come together and gather with other people is just phenomenal. We need it. And uh, then God moves us uh, in, through formation. That uh, this area where we're tried and we're tested and we're tempted. You'll remember Jesus after God speaks his identity at his baptism. You're my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. And this Holy Spirit moves Jesus out into the desert where he's tried, he's tested, he's tempted. Some of you feel like the Holy Spirit moved you there and has never moved you out of there. Like you're just always, and to some degree, until we're in heaven, we're going to be there, right? Because God continues to build spiritual muscle so that we're able to live in a healthy way in community and we're able to live our calling, that we're able to get on board with God's mission. And so then Jesus leaves the desert, he comes back, he chooses his disciples, he invites them into community. Jesus didn't do life alone, he invited people into community with himself. But he went alone to the cross, but he did that so that he could purchase you and I back and bring us into community. So all his work is in community. Jesus dwells in community as the Godhead, God the Father, Jesus the Son, God's Holy Spirit, three in one, one God. They dwell in unity. They dwell in community. Our God is one. But Jesus said, I will temporarily leave that, come to earth in the form of a baby that we celebrate at this time of year. He'll grow up. He'll go through identity, formation, community, and into his mission to bring you and I into community. And we're so grateful for that. And then we say, God, I come to you and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior and now I just want to be blessed. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want everything to be smooth. I want blessing. I want favor. I want your smile. I want you to do things my way. And people who reject God, the number one reason they give for not believing in God is suffering. And Christians would say that the time that they grow the most in life is through suffering. The same thing, but two very different outcomes, right? Because we understand that there will be seasons of persecution, seasons of suffering, seasons where times come and they don't go our way and God's going to use those to form us. He's going to use those to help us. But it's not all favor and blessing and sunshine. There are days that get rainy but the rain refreshes. The rain prepares us for the long haul. But as people, we have a natural propensity to gather. In the beginning, people gathered and said, we want to be closer to God. And so they formed, they started building the Tower of Babel. And they started building this tower really high. And God said, wow, if they continue doing this, they could launch spacecraft. So uh, he dispersed them. He gave them different languages. And so different languages entered the world and they didn't understand the person who the day before they understood. And so God dispersed them. They began to move where they could speak in similar languages because we have a natural tendency to gather together and want to keep things that way. 
at the transfiguration, Jesus goes up on the mountain with a couple of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And while he's on the mountain, he is transfigured. He begins to glow. And Moses shows up, and Abraham shows up, or Moses and Elijah show up. And Peter instantly says, let's start a construction project. Let's build houses and stay here on the mountain. I mean, now that Elijah is showing up, now that Moses is here, they must have had name tags. I don't know how that worked, that he knew who they were. But now that they've shown up, let's just stick together and stay together and live in one big happy family up here glowing on the mountain. And Jesus said, no, it's not my mission. My mission's greater than that. But that's the natural human propensity to want to gather together, to be comfortable. So Jesus dies for our sins. He raises to new life. He conquers the grave. He ascends back into heaven. And the early church is born. And very soon after the early church is born in the day of Pentecost, very shortly thereafter, persecution happened. And the church gets dispersed. If you have your Bible, open with me to Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. It says this, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, he was the first martyr, and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Right away, persecution happens. And God begins to use it. And you can imagine if you're in the early church, if you were one of the apostles, if you were one of the disciples of Christ, you're saying, we just got through this whole thing and you rose from the dead and you left us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. We love it. We have no idea just how to live in this. We're experiencing this new anointing of your Holy Spirit. And then persecution happens and the church begins to get dispersed. And we can learn a lot from the apostles about how to handle persecution by what they did in this early persecution. Persecution brings about diaspora, which means scattering or dispersion. God from heaven knows you're just going to want to stay together in Jerusalem. You want to gather every day in the temple courts and make friends and families and grow old together and just have your best friends there and every day be able to be together in the temple courts. And God goes, but my promise to Abraham was that the entire world, all nations, would be blessed through you, the Jewish people, through Christ. And I don't want to just have you keep that to yourself. So as persecution begins to happen, following Satan's demise, if you will, his loss, thinking that he was going to triumph over the cross, but became triumphed over by Christ, he begins to persecute the church. And so God uses that to disperse the message, the blessing of Christ to all peoples, all nations, a scattering or a dispersion. Well, if you or I won't get on God's mission to multiply, God will help disperse us or he'll disperse the things that we're clinging to that keep us from him. He loves us that much. He has a jealous, passionate love for us and he's willing to disperse it. Persecution is really an intrinsic part of Christianity. You know, God calls us to be a part of his family. And you're like, this is great. I want to go on a family cruise. And God goes, no, I'm calling you to be a part of my battleship. Because the battleship fights the war here. But there's a great cruise kept in heaven where you'll never perish or spoil or fade. But that's not right now. Right now I'm calling you 
to be a part of the machine of my mission. And every one of you has a gift. Every one of you has a calling. That's why at Sun Grove Church we say, encounter God. Grow through community. And by the way, you and I heal in community. If you could heal yourself, you'd be all better by now. Right? You would have just taken care of it. But God calls us to come together. One of the reasons he calls us to come together is to encourage one another, even more as we see the day of the Christ's return approaching, but also that it's we grow together. We are healed together in community. We need it. As independent as America is, we are desperately searching for community online, make some connection with somebody somewhere. We're hungry for community. Why? Because we grow in community and we're healed in community. And then at Sun Grove Church, we say, live your calling. What does that mean? It means I move from identity to formation to community and now to mission. And every one of you plays a role. Every one of you has a part to play. God makes all of us sad, mad, and glad about different things. And he calls us to step up into his unique calling on our lives and use our time and our treasure and our talents to get on board with his kingdom. But sometimes he uses persecution. There were five organized efforts within 11 years to persecute the church in Jerusalem. Think about that. Five separate organized movements of persecution against the early church. Do you think God was serious about diaspora, about getting the message out? Do you think the enemy was against God getting his message out? Absolutely. And a lot of times, as we've looked at this year, we see in other countries where Christians are persecuted, those who identify themselves as Christian, they might even get their head cut off. And we say, oh, maybe that doesn't happen here in America. But I believe that the enemy realizes that he's got a good thing going in America. The enemy realizes that he doesn't have to cut off your head. All he's got to do is cut off your will to act and live and move and be the person that God's called you to be. And so you can trade thankfulness for materialism like that. That you can take thanks from God and turn it into Black Friday. And you think, well, I'm saving. It's a good thing. It is a good thing to save. But subtly, our whole life becomes about building our kingdom, and we settle. And God said, build my kingdom. Build a kingdom that will never perish or spoil or fade. It won't wear out. Apple care will not run out on you. Anything that you do, he's saying, listen, moths won't eat it. Rust won't destroy it. Thieves can't steal it. He's saying, build my kingdom. But our natural propensity is gather together and be a kingdom or stay as a kingdom. So the enemy focuses on pride. If I can just build my kingdom, then the enemy knows you're no threat to build his kingdom. So he'll let you walk into your identity in Christ. He'll let you walk through formation where you're tried and you're tested and you're tempted. He will love it if you gather together in community, but he hates it if you step into mission. He will try to make you so comfortable that you stop there, that you think God's road ends to the cruise ship and not the battleship. But God loves you and I enough to shake that up and bring us back to our identity because a true identity leads us to mission. It always does. Jesus warned that the church should expect persecution. Some of you are like, oh, our country, it's going downhill. As a reminder, we're living like Daniel in Babylon. 
America is a Babylon. We live in it. And as such, we're going to live as Daniels in Babylon. How do we bring value to our culture without compromising our identity or our God? That we carry out his mission in our culture, even if it means the demise of our personal comforts. Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, he said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong in the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. You're not of this world, right? We're aliens and strangers to American culture. We're aliens and strangers to worldwide culture. We are part of the kingdom and the body of Christ. Jesus says, that is why the world hates you. Well, when a Christian falls in love with Jesus, but also falls in love with the world, they end up having no aroma. They become like the aroma of Febreze, right? We're not sure if you have an aroma. You're just absorbed aroma. The world is like, I don't know. You say you're a Christian, but you look and smell just like us. So there's not an aroma of Christ that is the aroma of life to those who are perishing. To those who are being saved, you're like the aroma of life. But to those who are perishing, you're the aroma of death, and they hate you for it. But if you love Jesus and you're trying to love the world too, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters you end up just smelling like Febreze. You don't smell like the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved. And you don't smell like the aroma of death to those who are perishing. You just don't smell. And God says, I want you to be the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved. So some of you might say, well, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't really really face persecution. Well, that's a problem because, in fact, Paul says, Paul, who was Saul, who was persecuting the church, dragging people out of their homes, Jesus broke into his world, dismantled him building his kingdom, and said, Saul, you're now going to be called Paul. You're going to come build my kingdom. You're such an active guy. You're so active to persecute the church. I'm going to make you active to build the church. And so he saves him radically, changes his name, gives him a new identity, puts him in community, launches him out to live his calling. And then Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy. And Paul says this. He's saying, Timothy, listen, listen, this is important information. He says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you're not being persecuted, it's because you are not wanting to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Because this verse is very clear that everyone who wants to live a a godly life in Christ Jesus doesn't mean you and I do it perfectly, but you want to, you're going to be persecuted. There will be people who hate you. Your idol who loved you will turn around and hate you. Because while you loved it, it will love you. But the moment you say, I want to be one who follows Jesus, who lives a godly life, that idol will turn on you and bite you and hate you. If you live the way that God wants you and I to live, you will naturally disagree with the world. You know that this happened. Maybe you became a Christian, and at first you're like, man, I didn't even know that stuff I was doing before was wrong to do. I like, had no idea. But after a while, you just see, you're like, it, just, it has a distaste now. It's the old self, it's the old life. Its promises are empty. 
because you're falling in love with Jesus. When you and I live an openly godly life, you will bang heads with Satan and you'll be persecuted and you'll be mocked, you'll be thought ignorant, but you will be wise because God loves to take what the world thinks are foolish things and simple things and make them wise. The same God who appeared to shepherds, not kings, is the same God who takes the simple and walk them into brand new identity, formation, community, and give them a mission where those who consider themselves wise will persecute them in the classroom, in the workplace, in your family. When you and I get off mission, God pulls us back to identity. This has happened for some of you. As we put this slide up on the screen, you'll notice that we started with identity, we moved to formation, then community, then mission. Sometimes your mission becomes your identity. Your identity is what you do. And sometimes God's going, that's not healthy. If my identity is what I do, if I'm Dave, I'm the pastor, and I'm a pastor and that's what I do, but that's not who I am, that's a dangerous conflict, right? And God will say, stop, he'll call time out. He'll bring us back to identity and work us through formation into healthy community and mission. Sometimes your community becomes your identity. Some of you are here today because you were part of a church that was your community. And you're like a friend of mine whose wedding I did this last year. She was a part of the choir at my home church for years. They got a new pastor. They said, we're moving into some different things. We're not going to have a choir anymore. She said, no, you don't understand. Choir is what I do. Choir is my family. What she's saying, choir is my mission. Choir is my community. And the new pastor came in and he said, we're not going to have a choir anymore. And she got offended and left the church and thought, fine, I'll go find community somewhere else. And she has struggled. And she has not found community somewhere else. Why? Because her community became her identity. Her identity was not a daughter of the Most High God who's building up his kingdom. No matter what that looks like and no matter what changes happen, her thing was, God, I expect you to keep my life, my community, my family, my mission stable. And God goes, when have I ever kept anything stable, right? I mean, honestly, did you think that this was going to be easy? Do you think if God gives you a life mission that it's going to be something just simple? Of course not. He's far too great for that. And so you and I, when we walk away from our identity, God will always call time out in our lives at any point of our lives, whether it's young life, midlife, or old life, and he'll say, let's get back to your identity, and then we walk you right back into your mission. Peter, who denied Christ three times, Jesus meets him on a beach, calls him back into his identity, and 40 days later, Peter's the one preaching where 3,000 people come saved. It didn't take a long turnaround, but it was a timeout, and he had to walk back into his new identity. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he lived his calling but you and I, we sometimes settle for our kingdom, our mission. But God's saying, I need you to live my mission, my kingdom, build my kingdom. We say, Lord, what does your kingdom look like? Well, Jesus showed us with these words. 
Will you watch the screen? disciples asked, Father, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, here then is how you ought to pray. Why would he give us that prayer? Because we have a natural propensity to make mission about ourselves, make it all about us. But we have to have a shift. We have to have a shift from building my kingdom to building God's kingdom, that he must increase and I must decrease that his kingdom becomes paramount, that my kingdom becomes ruined by Jesus for his kingdom's sake, that he rebuilds what I'm already destroying, that what I'm building is a dead-end kingdom, and God will dismantle it and rearrange it and build a stable kingdom in his name for his purposes that follow what his plan is for life. But there's got to be a there's got to be a shifting, a, a restructuring of how we live. Recently, in our Financial Peace University class, there were 20 families, and among those 20 families, they started out at the beginning of this nine-week class. They started out with $640,000 in non-mortgage debt. Think about that for a minute. 20 families, $640,000, not including your mortgage, of debt. In nine weeks, 
They paid off $47,000 in debt, which is 7% in only nine weeks. They increased their savings for emergency fund by 28% with an additional $23,000 saved. And they cut up 48 of 87 credit cards. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Give that up. Yeah. You got it. That's great stuff. What is it doing? It's saying, God, I'm trapped. Instead of, instead of increasing the kingdom of the creditors, I need you to increase the stability of this kingdom so I'm free to build up your kingdom. And there's, but there's got to be a shifting. There's got to be a, a change of how we operate. There's got to be a change in what we build. And it's a simple rearrangement of our kingdom that begins to build God's kingdom. He must increase. I must decrease. As a church, this year, in our budget that we voted on a year ago, we voted that 10% of what comes into this church goes to global and local missions. We tithe as a church, that we practice what we preach, and this year, we will have given away over $61,000 to global missions. We give it up for that, right? And there'll be another over 30 to 40,000 that we give away for local missions to places like the Elk Grove Food Bank, to Morals Value Program, to the Courageous Connection for Foster Youth, for the Child Evangelism Fellowship Program that's happening at Charles Mack Elementary, for PATH, People Assisting the Homeless here in Elk Grove that we've just made a donation to help the city of Elk Grove build a home for homeless people who are women with families because you can't necessarily put them in with just all the men if you have kids and there might be issues there. So just to help them be able to do that. And for Bridget's Dream, which deals with sex trafficking, restoration of people who are sex trafficked in South Sacramento and North Elk Grove. That what do we do? We, we simply make a shift in how we operate, God, that we're gonna, we're gonna give to you back what is yours and it's gonna impact global and local missions because we aren't just about building the kingdom. Everything we do here, we try to do to build God's kingdom. We, we paid the electric bill here. We have light for days like today. We have light like for the other Friday, just two days ago, when my neighbors across the street had a death in the family and our memorial ministry came along to say, we will host a reception for you. And they put on a meal and they had a bunch of people right up here on Friday. You might have been relaxing on a day off maybe after the day of Thanksgiving. But we had people in our church who were saying, I'll, I'll give some of my time to come and serve food and to love on people and make a difference at the darkest hour in someone's life. It's a simple restructuring of our time and our treasure and our talents. But when we do that, we're going to be persecuted. And when persecuted, we must depend on God's Holy Spirit. We must cry out to him for the strength to endure. We must lean on him for the wisdom and how to operate. But we've got to depend on God's Holy Spirit. We're used to depending on our own spirit, our own resources, our own abilities. And we've got to say, God, I need you. I cannot on my own. We depend on him. We share in Christ's identity, that we share in his sufferings in addition to his blessing. Job, who was so persecuted, when his wife countered him and basically said, curse God and die. Thank you, honey. Job, this man who'd undergone an immense amount of suffering, said back to his wife, he said, shall we accept good from God and not hardship? Let me ask you. 
Are you only willing to accept the favor, the blessing, and not the identity, which is the suffering servant building his father's kingdom? What's this life about? He must increase and I must decrease. So don't be afraid to tell people around you that Jesus Christ is the only way that he or she can be saved. Don't be afraid to tell them that. That truth in and of itself to those who are perishing will be offensive, but don't you offend. You make sure you love them so deeply and so dearly that they would say, what you said was offensive, but you weren't, you were not offensive to me. You really do care, don't you? Let the truth offend, but don't you offend. But again, don't be afraid to tell them that. Because Acts 4.12 tells us this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, our world loves to say God. Well, whether it's people over in Africa or people in Asia or other parts of the world, as long as you believe in God, as long as there's, you know, there's one God, let's just, just all call it. No, no, that's not what scripture says. Not all gods lead to heaven. There's one big G God, there's, everything else is lowercase. Scripture tells us there is no other name by which we must be saved than through Jesus Christ. It's why there's power in that name. It's why when you stub your toe, you don't say Buddha. There is power in that name. And we betray it by the cursing of our culture. Why? Because the law of God is written on the hearts of humanity. And it bears witness. But what if we help people understand Jesus Christ? That he's their savior. That the reason that we celebrate Christmas is we're so happy he came. We give gifts to each other because God became flesh and suffered for us and conquered death and rose to new life and gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live for him. And he's given us a new identity. And he forms us. And he gives us a new community and he helps us live our calling, our mission until we're face to face with him. See, the question when you get to heaven is not, what did you do with God? The question is, who is Jesus Christ to you? That's the only question that matters because salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Listen, if you start sharing about Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will be thought simple. You will be, be laughed at. You will offend others. But let me tell you this. If you get offended by others, if you get persecuted or made fun of by others, if you get your head chopped off by others while you're getting messed up, someone else's life might be getting straightened out. He must increase. I must decrease. And yet we get so afraid that we're going to offend somebody. And the enemy has just watered it down to say, listen, encounter God, grow through community, but please, please, please don't ever live your calling. And some of us in this room today, you're struggling because you know someone who is going through a season of formation right now. 
and you're a little bit upset with God that that person you love is having to struggle. You're upset that God has called time out in that person's life and is bringing them back to ground zero and rebuilding them. And maybe you're upset that God has called time out with you and you're maybe a little upset that he's, he's dismantling your idol that you've loved. And he's calling time out. He's saying, but I'm forming you into my identity, new community, so you can live the mission that I've spoken over your life before the day you were born. Good works prepared in advance for you to do. And he's like, stop being so comfortable in your community and begin to live your calling. Some of you in this room, you floated under the radar and it's time to get your hands dirty. Some of you in the room, you're frustrated with the church because there's things in the world that make you sad or mad or glad and the church ought to step up and do something about that. And God is saying, I'm calling you to step up and meet that need. I'm giving you that passion. I'm opening your eyes because it's your calling. Will you let me form you and build a team around you and unleash you to live your calling? Imagine that. And the enemy imagines that and he is so threatened. Oh, he does not want that. So he wants to shame you into your old identity. But let's not play his game. Let's be empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do greater things than that. Are you ready for God to disperse what's keeping you off mission in your life? Are you ready for persecution to come that he would disperse that thing so that you are freed up to be single-mindedly focused? a reprioritizing of your kingdom to fulfill his. God calls time out at people's lives at certain points. And some of you in this room right now, you would say, I'm, I'm feeling frustrated with God because someone else is having to go through a hard season. Someone else is having to suffer. Someone else is going back to formation. So, and I want to ask, will you participate with what God is doing in that person's life? Maybe you're a parent and you want to just jump in and rescue and fix and make it all better and and you got to realize, no, God's at work in that pain. God is at work forming a person again in that. And as you were running your race, you were running along, and you saw someone else in pain or suffering, and you turned your head, and, and it's like someone else cut in on you on your race, and you, you stopped running. And now you're becoming bitter with God because of he's got a person in a season of formation. And God's saying, don't let suffering cut in on your race. You run your race. And trust me, as I dismantle that kingdom and rebuild that person, run your race. The enemy will want to point around and say, look, they're suffering there. They're suffering here. Just like he points out to those who are not saved. If they're suffering in the world, how could there be a God who would be good? While that very same enemy is laughing all the way to his own destruction, trying to take as many people along with him, deceived as he can. And some of you, you need to say, God, if you're messing with community, help me to live my calling. Some of you are saying, I I'm so attached to what I do that God, if you mess with that, I don't even know who I am. God will call you back to identity. Will you participate with him? Will you grow spiritually in the season in which he has you and those around you right now? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, Christian, today I just want you to answer this question. 
as God's Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you may be a believer, you may have known the Lord a long time, but will you just identify what season God's got you in right now? Does he have you in formation? Has he called you back to community because you just got a little isolated? Is he calling you out to mission? Has he paused those things because he's calling you back to identity? You, you were running a race under grace and freedom and you're trying to earn your favor with God. And he says, uh-uh, back to identity. You're my son or my daughter whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Stop trying to earn it. And maybe for some of you in this room, you're saying, I don't know Jesus. I've never submitted my life to Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given to people by which we are saved. And I've never been saved. I've never asked Jesus to come into my heart. I've never said yes to him, but today I want to. And if that's you with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, would you just silently pray a prayer like this after me? You can just repeat it silently right where you're at. God hears you to say, Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I invite you to come into my life to make me a new creation, that the old would be gone and that your kingdom would come to me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin that caused you to suffer and die. And I believe that you rose from the dead and that you, Jesus, are God. And so today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you.